I'm just toting around this garbage. Yeah, I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> On a novelization? Four episodes. This is cool, though. <laughs> yes. Hey, everyone. It's Ben Juan again with Andrew on Batman Forever. What's up, everyone? And if you didn't think we were nerdy enough, we're going to give you a run for money because oh, we're going to talk about the novelization. Just when you thought Batman it couldn't Forever. get any nerdier. I don't know how we ended up with four. But just, yeah, I don't know how. we So many episodes on this thing. That, uh, but the, I guess the, here we are. So somehow it ended up with us having um, four episodes. <laughs> what the finale will be, we'll get to later. Yes, but uh, yes. definitely the finale is going to go out with a bang, everybody. But yep. uh, but yeah, this is part three of four. <laughs> um, unbelievably enough, there is quite a story behind the novelization of Batman Forever, and Ben's got a bunch of info on that, as per the usual. Yes, so for those wondering, like, why the hell are we going over the novel of it? The novelizations actually are a good source to find out what was in the shooting script because uh, the authors have to write it. It has to be released at the same time as the movie, so they never end up actually seeing the movie. What they get is a combination of the shooting script and any of the last-minute rewrites, and they kind of fill in their own ideas. So a lot of times you find that the novel has stuff that sort of fills in some of the plot holes that uh, the movie left. Yeah. So for the first two Batman movies, it was Craig Shaw Gardner who wrote for the uh, 89 one and Returns. And just to give you an example of when that happens, where the author adds his own take. Uh, remember the part at the end of 89 where they're in the cathedral and the thugs just suddenly attack Batman? Yeah. Did you ever wonder how the thugs ended up there? Because Joker didn't know he was going to go up the cathedral at oh, that right. point. I always figured the thugs were just following the Joker up. Yeah, but they weren't. You never see oh, them. Right, right. He's being followed by Batman. So where do the thugs come from? You know, I never put that <laughs> together, actually. So Craigshaw Gardner writes an additional scene that is not in any of the shooting scripts. So he writes an additional scene where Joker and Vicky make it to the top of the bell tower, and then they see the thugs. And Joker's like, what okay. are you guys doing here? And the thugs say, well, we want, when Batman attacked, we wanted a better view okay. of everything. So they actually were the first to get to the top of the tower first. And it's just kind of explained that that's why they're there. Okay. So this is an example of what happens with uh, a lot of these authors. When we got to Batman Forever, they, they switched gears and they went to an actual comic book writer, the great Peter David. Who <laughs> great, <laughs> great, yes. Yes, great in his writing. Maybe not so much in personality. <laughs> oh, check our Twitter feed for more, everybody. Um, yeah. for this, uh, just like how the 89 movie... The best version of that was consulting the original scripts. The best version of Batman Returns was the original Sam Hamm script. I'd like to think the best sort of version, the best combination of the best of the Bachelor draft, the best of the Goldman draft, the best of the actual movie can be found in this book. Uh, Peter David had his own thoughts on the movie. Uh, he, he As says, did we all. Yes. Uh, he, I'll, just, I'll just sum it up with this one paragraph he wrote. He says, the plot... The plot displays the singular achievement of being incredibly complicated and at the same time ludicrously simple. 
Bruce Wayne <laughs> says Batman must die. Everything else is bells and whistles. Two-Face irritatingly called Harvey Two-Face at several points, making him sound almost like a Native American. Hates Batman oh for reasons God. that are murky. Edward Nigma is obsessed with Bruce Wayne for reasons that are murkier, yet that combined with Dick Grayson's revenge kick and the juvenile Batman fixation by quote-unquote doctor Chase Meridian, named after two banks and yet a few dimes short of a dollar, is the sum and substance of this movie. <laughs> I had, he says, I had lots of room to make the script workable. Director Joel Schumacher didn't get that option, nor did the actors get entire additional scenes explaining just what the hell the characters were supposed to be about. Consequently, they never really seemed to know. So, uh, David didn't really like this movie very much. It doesn't sound like... Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, what he wrote was adding in a lot of the stuff uh, that he thought would make a little bit more sense, and you get a very different take on the same exact story. Uh, and there's even an audiobook version of this that is three hours long, <laughs> which is about as long as Avengers Endgame, and that's the abridged version. Uh, an audiobook that's three hours, that's actually kind of short for an audiobook, I guess. Right, yeah. But I mean, yeah. the actual book is 245 pages, but has so much stuff packed in. Um, funny enough, the audiobook is, uh, uses the Danny Elfman Batman theme at the very beginning and at the oh, end, so it's it? kind of this weird alternate universe version of Batman Forever. Let us know if you want us to go over more audiobooks in the future. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but let's get it right the fuck I'm serious it. about that. Yes. All right, keep going. Uh, we start not the same way that we started the script. In fact, we don't even get to where the script started until around page 42. Yeah, 44 or so of the book. Okay, yeah. So he pads this with a lot of his own info. So we start out with uh, the beginning where Bruce Wayne is going to fall into the cave. So he starts off with that flashback. And while you might be watching uh, Batman Forever and get to I'll Get Drive Through in the same amount of time, (laughs) you could read this part. Quote, he hauled himself up, turned, and looked back and up at the house. That's all it was now, a house not a home home after all is where the heart is but the young man's heart was elsewhere it was scattered in small bloody ruins on the filth gridden ground of a place recently dubbed crime alley after its most recent atrocity his heart lay intermixed with the blood of two people pouring from them darker much darker than he'd imagined blood to be there had been warmth coming off of it for it had been a very chill evening life had gushed from them with a deep abiding warmth the heat rising wafting away two lives and three souls leaving behind two corpses and one living creature that only wished he were dead, and a leering, chortling monster of a man glowering down at the boy and saying something that made no sense. Quote, Tell me, kid, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> so it's obviously like way better than <laughs> what we got. What we did get was some idiot in a fucking safe being (laughs) you know oh no you know that's what we got (laughs) right so already david is connecting to the tim burton movie with the dance of the devil on the pale moonlight he has bruce fall into the cave and has this creepy moment where it almost seems like this is the birth of bruce's other personality where bruce see looks around the cave and says let me out and then a voice in his head says let me in Ah, so it's the sort of the genius. birth of it, and uh, he is, gets surrounded by the bats until he sees the lone uh, monarch bat coming towards him. And Peter David says, "Quote and with the cries of the leathery creatures providing an ungodly orchestral tone, the young man danced with the devil in the pale moonlight." 
So he's reappropriating that for his own purposes, right? For, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. I also I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, text size on this book. <laughs> he's got the Batman Forever novelization right in front of him. Yes, it's like this regular pocket novel size of a book, but fairly big text. It looks like a you know like a young adult novel, just as described for the reader. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's pretty nice. It is yes, easy uh, to read. But clearly at this point, Peter David is just. Swinging his big dick around, being like, "This is how I'm gonna write." <laughs> they just this let him thing. do whatever he wanted. Yeah, which is amazing. It's it's pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. So this is him covering a scene that's already part of the script. Here's where he starts in adding his own stuff because the next chapter is introducing a young kid at school named Edward Nigma. At school. Yes, he's at school. Okay. He, he uh, is already smarter for than his own good. I mean, he's already an outcast. He's getting bullied. Uh, he sees himself as above people because it helps him feel better about himself. And immediately, uh, a teacher recommends that he reads the newspaper because Edward Nigma has bragged that he has read every book in the library already. So the teacher's okay. like, how about okay. you read the news? And I like it. I like it. The latest headline is Thomas Wayne murdered. Only child survives. Okay. And Edward looks at it. Edward's gaze flicked to the caption, which described the photo subject as the grief-stricken Bruce Wayne. No, whispered Edward. No, they got it wrong. He's not stricken of anything. Look at that. Look at that. He saw there at Bruce Wayne's face an intensity that mirrored his own, an anger, a frustration at the hand that fate had dealt him. There were no tears on Bruce's face. Instead, there was a smoldering intelligence that Edward intuitively sensed was on par with his own. So if you wondered... Where the hell Edward's obsession came from with Bruce? Yeah, Peter David David is trying to explain that right, off the cuff right, by saying right, right, that he right. felt bonded to this this kid from the tragedy that happened and, and realizing that they were both kind of outcasts and and didn't want to be outcasts in a way or, or stricken by some sorts of sense of tragedy and Edward sort of sees it as his mission to find Bruce Wayne and become essentially change the world together from that. And uh, that's, it's a really interesting new take on where Edward's obsession comes from rather than just being like, oh, you're my idol type of thing. It right, comes from right. like you're the only person in the world who can understand me in a way. Right. So that's interesting. It's like it makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is that it, it's, there's, there's a moment that David adds later where Enigma still has the newspaper and Bruce ends up finding uh, the newspaper with the death of his parents and stuff in Nigma's cubicle, sort of adding to the idea, okay, this guy's a little cray-cray. Okay. So that's interesting. So he's adding a little bit to the Riddler stuff. Chapter three, we go into Harvey Dent. And okay. Harvey Dent meets uh, Batman on a rooftop, and we sort of get a little bit of backstory where he it says that he meets Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne becomes friends with him and agrees to bankroll his fundraiser, not unlike what you see in The Dark Knight. Um and Batman has a conversation with Dent. He shows up, and Dent says, uh, says to him, as an officer of the court, I must advise you to report to the nearest police station submit yourself to arrest. And Batman stud- studies him for a moment and says, if you're referring to that business with a penguin, his gang can tell you everything you need to know. So okay. remember we talked about how in Batman Returns, they never explain why Batman's name, how Batman's name ever gets cleared? Yeah. Peter David isn't just filling in plot holes in Batman Forever. He's filling in plot holes from Batman Returns <laughs> in this thing. Because he's saying that Batman says they're holed up in a warehouse at 73rd and Grand. There's a secret room through a revolving wall on the northeast side. I'm presuming you can get the truth out of them. So he's telling Dent where the rest of the Red Triangle Circus gang is so they can clear his name. 
It's just funny <laughs> to think about this because you know how like in, in, in Dark Knight Rises whenever everybody freaked out on the internet, like how did he get out of the uh the well we saw how he got out of the hole, but how did he How did he get to, to Gotham? Gotham? Yeah, people were freaking out about that. I wonder these must have been the conversations at that time. You know, like these plot holes from yes. Batman Returns, and like they must have been talking about it in Starlog magazine and shit. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean. Like it was like the pre Starlog was like the pre nerd internet. You know. Mm-hmm. So here, David's filling that in, and they have a different. You know, they sort of go into a different conversation where Batman said is noticing that Harvey Dent seems to be losing confidence in in getting. He doesn't really want to go for DA again. Okay. And Dent's telling him, you know what, I got a fiance, like, I'm trying to go back to private practice, I, I want out of this, and Batman's like, you know, if with your help, I could actually clean up the city, sort of things from all the cobble pots and everything like that, and Harvey's like, I'm putting my, you know, you're, you're telling me to go back into this war on crime, and not only that, you're asking me to put my neck out on the line for a vigilante, Right. and Batman tells him, I'll protect you, nice. and that's sort of the beginning of the Harvey Dent-Batman relationship. So what ends up happening is Bruce Wayne, um, I mean, Batman is helping Dent with all these crimes. It's, said, it's mentioned at one point that Batman stops Poison Ivy from uh, some sort of crime, some sort of attack on Harvey. I think that was Peter David referencing the Poison Ivy episode in the animated series. Because he, he wrote this novel before Batman and Robin came out. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know that Poison Ivy was going to be in the next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the Peter David version, this is canon with uh, some version of Pretty Poison, that, that episode. Oh, man. So the, they work with each other. Batman nabs Boss Maroney. Boss Maroney is on trial. We, there's a scene that goes into it and in this version Batman does not does not do what he did in 1940s and just shows up in the courtroom to try to stop it um, <laughs> just, uh, he, he is wild, kind man. of in disguise <laughs> at, at one point at least that's how it's described and uh, Dent gets hit with the acid and Batman goes to Harvey's hospital just like as you saw in the Dark Knight okay. and when he visits Harvey Harvey looks at him with a look of hatred and says some protection uh huh so what you see is that David is giving an actual motivation and reason <laughs> for why Two Face is so hell bent uh, on this. He I says she was nicer on Twitter. Keep going. Yes, he says we made it e- that much easier for you to operate in this town. Now you leave us double crossed. We will not forget that. Not ever. That's what Two Face t- says to Batman. So that explains again why Harvey Dent, why Two Face is so hell bent on killing Batman in present day. So, David has already set up the main motivations of the the hero and the two villains. And how many pages are we in? Uh, we're about, let's see, yeah, we're about twenty five pages in. Twenty five. So twenty five <laughs> minutes. Well, okay, so that's prose. A little longer, yeah. So let's say let's let's. Well, it could have been thirty minutes, yeah. maybe, but still, that's a good. The first third, the first act. Yes. Is uh, yeah, it's all set up. It's good. It's good yeah. setup. And there's even more setup coming up. Yeah. So we then meet Dr. Chase Meridian as she's exploring Gotham City and she gets purse snatched. Okay. And she runs after him, but she can only do so much because she's in high heels and the heels break and everything. Oh, yeah. And a figure jumps down and takes down the purse snatcher and it's a kid. Okay. And the kid's name is Richard Grayson. (laughs) Okay. 
That's and, a good way to sync it all up there, and it's quick too that way. Yeah, yeah, and and John Grayson is running after her and being like, "Oh, thank God, you know, Richard is safe." And Chase is like, "Hey, I'm Chase Meridian. Like, your yeah. son's very brave. I want to reward him." And John's like, "No, no, no. The act itself should be the reward, and and Richard has to like be okay with that, even though he's not. He'd rather get the money." And Chase is like, uh, "Sorry, man. I know I'm jumping the gun here, yeah. but is there a single fucking page of this book that's anywhere near the movie?" <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> we just All don't right. get to it till like page fifty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, and Chase is like, "Hey, like, I'd love to talk more about you know, I'm a you know, I'm a psychologist. I'd like to talk more about your son, about like people who jump into the jump into danger to help other people, and." John Grayson is like, oh, you're one of those. No, we don't want to talk to you. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? And then he, he leads Richard away. And basically, John's like, you know, we're acrobats. We risk our neck out on the line. I don't need some doctor trying to psychoanalyze my son. And we get some bonding moments between father and son. Because we really didn't get any moments with the Grayson family. No, they just die. Yeah, they just died. And this yeah. one, like, it's David is establishing the father-son relationship so that your heart gets ripped out when they actually do get killed. I didn't know this was going to be this much better. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed. This is why we're doing yeah. a whole episode I knew it was going to be better, but I didn't know it was going to be quite this much better. Yes. Uh, the next chapter is in Arkham Asylum where a guard named Richter is nervous because he's going into the cell of Harvey Dent. And okay. he arrives and he says, you know, I, he has that acetylene torch and goggles to help Two-Face break out and Two-Face is going to give him half a million in order to, to settle his gambling debts and pay him back for this. And Two-Face is like, why don't we flip for it? I'll double the amount of money. It's double or nothing, if you call it correctly. And the guard is like, you know, he's going back and forth, and he's like, uh, I'm already in so much debt, but, like, imagine if I had a full million. Yeah. So he says, clean side. And Two-Face flips, and it lands on Scar's side. And Two-Face is like, is that, that's too bad. And then he slices the guard's throat. Oh, man. And the guard's like, why? And Two-Face says, double or nothing. Nothing means nothing. No money. <laughs> no life. Sorry. Oh <laughs> and the guy's dying and gurgling as Two-Face breaks out. And then he hangs the guy and uses the blood to say the bat must die. As Jesus. Dr. Burton comes in. <laughs> See, this would have been, this would have sent it over the edge. Yeah. Again, this is all Peter David. The original script just began with Dr. Burton entering and seeing the guard, yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah, really yeah, cleared. Yeah. Like when they actually shot the scene where Burton finds the guard, the guard's actually alive. The guard I, is I moving just, around. I don't think you get a PG 13 rating in it with somebody writing in blood. Like yeah, that, yeah exactly. I mean? So maybe that's why that didn't happen. Yeah. But now we're finally at the point where the original script begins. <laughs> we're like 40 something pages in. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't do that. So that guard's name is Tully, by the way. Tully? <laughs> Tully, yeah. Tully, that's Tully. What, that's what's given to him by the, the author. But anyway. Hey, man, you get uh, good residuals every year, I'm sure. But I'm sure, yeah. Fuck, man. Uh, so Bruce visits Wayne Enterprises, because, again, the original order was Bruce meeting the future Riddler. Uh, Lucius Fox has a cameo in this. Lucius? In uh, telling Bruce, like, hey, like you got to go to this R&D thing. Okay. Uh, and Bruce goes. He meets Nigma. Same stuff happens. Get sees the bat signal. Goes to uh, goes to the cave, gets dressed up. Uh, I'll get drive through is in the book. I think <laughs> I don't know. That must have paid David a lot for that. <laughs> and uh, we then, we, as he's about to arrive, uh, I'll get drive through. Yeah, the nineties were all about fast food, bro. 
Like, I know. Like, like, what do you call it? Super Size Me didn't come out until years later, but that thing has just started the decline, man. Yeah, I know. When we were kids, McDonald's was fucking king, don't you think? It, well, that, yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have ended up with the tone that we got. Like, the, yeah, or yeah. What happened with Batman Returns in terms of the response to that? McDonald's so. controlled movies, dude. Like... <laughs> You know, their yeah. fucking side project. Anyway, sorry, tangent. No, no, no. It's, it's just, it's, it's wild. The 90s were it's, wild, kids. It's very much a McDonald's movie. Yeah. So, we do have an extra scene that introduces, well, reintroduces Jason Meridian because we've already met her. And she brings up to Gordon, like, you're so dependent on Batman. Like, what's behind that and everything? Because she's trying to psychoanalyze everybody. Yeah. And Gordon's like, you really want to know why I depend on him? And she's like, well, yeah, why? And he's like, because of that. And that's when Batman shows up. Oh shit! The idea is like he's always dependable. I can always depend on him. The pacing is good, type man. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So Batman meets Chase and Gordon. Knows that uh, there's a guard hostage up there and that he has to rescue him. So he goes up. Same stuff happens. He gets trapped in the vault with the guard. So this is where this is the only thing because the the guard being trapped in him with him in the vault is not in the original script, but is okay. in in the movie. So uh, there were some rewrites going on, and David was privy to that. And Batman and the guard have a conversation, and sure, there's stuff like it's boiling acid, but again, it's book form, so you can kind of picture it being said with a different delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guard's like, uh, who is this guy to you? And Batman's like, he used to be my friend. Okay. And the guard's like, do all your friends try to do this? <laughs> so that's oh, kind of cool. Man. Uh, so Batman rescues the guard, has a confrontation with Two-Face in the helicopter, same deleted scene where Two-Face says, you're a killer too. Okay. To Batman and Batman that that gets to Batman, and the next morning he wakes up and the bat suit's all tattered and everything, and he asks Alfred to review the footage from Arkham Asylum to see if it gives him any clues of Two Face's next move. And he sees footage of Doctor Burton interviewing Two Face, and in the middle of it he almost hallucinates Two Face turning to directly to him and saying, "You're a killer too." So he's still haunted by this. Okay. Okay. And Burton asks him like, "Where?" you know where's your mind at and everything and two-face says where would the ideal place for a man like me doc ideal means imaginary but to me doc it's not imaginary it's some place that i'll find i'll find a land where light is shadow and freaks are kings uh and bruce is wondering if there's a clue in that uh Mm. so enigma still kills his boss fakes the suicide everything like that leaves riddles for bruce bruce decides to use that as a reason to go visit and meet chase at her office um Alfred goes to Bruce's bedroom only to find it empty and immediately goes to the Batcave. And it's kind of like that scene in Dark Knight where Alfred finds the bedroom and that's empty early on. Oh, yeah. And David adds the the depth of wondering, oh, God, thinks Alfred, is this the one morning where Bruce doesn't come home? Ah, that's good. So a lot of good good. character moments here. Uh, Bruce asks Chase out to the circus. We go to the circus. And uh, we, again, some more moments between the Grayson family members and everything. A little bit of a moment between Dick and his brother, Chris, and Chris is always giving him crap for being so theatrical and such a showman and everything. Uh, So again, establishing more of a family bond before we rip your heart out by killing them. Chase is watching the circus and she, she just randomly says, quote, a land of light and shadow where beasts dance and freaks are king. And Bruce is like, wait a minute, because that's the same exact thing that Two-Face said mm -hmm. in the footage. And Chase says, oh, it's from an old fairy tale that contains a a circus and it's called the tale of twin and Bruce is like, we got to get out of here. So that was two face giving a clue that he was going to attack the circus. 
It's like Two Face giving a riddle at that. Yeah, <laughs> Two Face gives more riddles in this book than two, than Riddler, I guess. Oh man. Uh, Peter David adds during the whole circus fight thing that Bruce takes down a thug and points a gun at Two Face, but stops himself. Okay. Because he's just like, oh god, there's a gun, I can't do it. But then okay. the Graysons get killed, right. so he's wondering like. I swore never to use guns, but should he have pulled the trigger? That type of stuff. Uh, the Graysons get a more emotional ending because uh, they get uh, Two Face is firing at them. John Grayson sacrifices himself because uh, the three of them are all hanging. He gets a heroic. Uh, he gets a heroic death because he yeah. he jumps off first so that uh, at least his wife and his other son have a chance. Okay, but they and, don't make it either. No, and his older son is crying out to his mom not to drop him and everything. Don't drop me, mom. Don't drop me. And Two Face shoots the other wire. And all three of them go. And uh, it's a scr- generally does does Robin generally have like a sister or a brother or like? Uh, no, he's usually an only child. He's usually an only child. Again, the bachelors added that because they saw in their research that an acrobatic family isn't usually just three. Oh, that's interesting. So they wanted to spruce it up and add another element. But Batman so, canon is generally just him and his parents. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, Dick Grayson, meanwhile, throws the bomb. He's all excited because he's like, oh, my God, my whole family's going to be heroes. And then he stops and he sees that everyone he loved is on the ground dead. And he hears a scream and realizes that it's his, And as it's described in the book. And Bruce hears a scream that he thinks is his own until he realizes it's not. And it's the same type of scream that he used to scream when his own parents were killed. So already we feel that connection um, on it. Uh, There's definitely like... I didn't know how dark D- Peter David liked to write, actually. <laughs> like, I know Batman gets this dark in some iterations, but, yeah. It's, I mean, it's all good stuff. It's fucking, like, yeah, it's, it's written well. Yeah, and it, uh, David adds more to the gun thing, where he says, yet there he had been, holding the machine pistol in his hand, finger curled around the trigger, a quick squeeze, and Two-Face would have been dead, and, perhaps, the Graysons would be alive. Yeah. So it's because yeah. of that guilt that... There's no Partially, kill rule. Yeah, and there's no kill rule that decides to bring Dick Grayson under the fold. Right. Uh, so he does do that. We get the same stuff where Dick has to be convinced to stay at the manor. Right. Alfred talks to him about the whole Robin on his helmet thing. Uh, Bruce sees the bat signal and goes to see Chase. And a cool moment for the Burton fans is he gets out of the Batmobile and says, Shields. And the oh, bat- nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, I forgot they didn't do that in forever, huh? No, that because was so it, cool. it's a different Batmobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It already has. Did you want to talk about the Batmobile for a second? Uh, since we're already there, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, it's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Very eloquent. Let's, let me just put it out. I just I wanted to make it you know straight to the point for the listener. Um, this is one of those things. I know we talk about our impressions when we were a kid a bunch on this podcast, but yes, this is a movie we saw when we were kids. And I do remember thinking, even at that time, not my Batmobile. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was like Burton's was my shit. And then when we get to this one, which I see where they were headed, but it's still, it's just not quite memorable enough. It's the design's not as good, basically. That and I just don't get why there's neon lights on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no stealth exactly. element to it. I mean, I mean, I get like, yeah, sure, we've had a tank Batmobile. We have, like, it's not kind of completely inconspicuous, but why would you have lights on them? I mean, maybe you can chalk it up to him thinking that he won't, it's it's an Adam West thing mixed with a Burton thing. 
Like it, the the neon lights make it more comic booky. Yeah, but quote I mean, unquote, but the Adam West one didn't have any neon lights at all. No, I know, I know. Yeah. But I feel like I don't know. It's it's their way of sprucing it up. I guess so. And I I don't really get it either. It, it sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it sucked, but I mean, I, I it's as you said, it's, it's not the the Batmobile. It's not my Batmobile. Yeah. It's not the Batmobile I would go with. I do appreciate the single fin in the back type of thing because they did say they they wanted to replicate that image from the original but it does split Batmobile. though too at times right i don't know if that was just a production mistake <laughs> as yeah, we right. saw yeah as we saw when robin's driving there's like one shot where it seems to be split and then the next shot it's back to like one again and it's just confusing and i don't know what happened there supposedly that's really um 45 year old uh chris o'donnell <laughs> driving it too. really yeah. that, that's what it said on imdb trivia ah okay i mean i wouldn't be surprised he didn't really have to do much yeah but he said he's still i think it said on there that he did he did uh uh, getting like a minor fender bender on set. With yeah. I guess that comes with the territory. Yeah. So after the seduction scene with Chase is still the same, and afterwards uh, there's a different action sequence with Two-Face, because remember there's one where he pretends to be an old lady and takes off the robe yeah, 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 and yeah, tries yeah, to yeah, shoot yeah. the missile launcher. Completely Instead, added later, right? Like you said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So David does his own version of this where Two-Face is waiting in the car. And apparently he's been spying and he knows that Batman goes to the GCPD whenever the bat signal is up. And so, like, here's my next opportunity to kill him. And Batman sees the cars coming after him and, he's, and he thinks, all right, it started on the rooftops. Because he's thinking about that rooftop conversation he had with Harvey Dent around the okay. time of Batman Returns. And he's like, all right, it started on the rooftops. Maybe it'll end on the rooftops. And so the Batmobile starts driving on the rooftops. <laughs> this is crazy, dude. <laughs> and the thugs start chasing him. And that's when eventually Batman uses the grappling hook to go up the side of the building. Okay. So kind of a cooler version of what happened, but there's no Two Face pretending to be an old woman with a with a grocery cart. There's no missile launching that gets rid of the other thug car. There's none okay. of that. None of that shit. The car Batmobile does still go up the side of the building though, but that's about it. They wanted that thing to scale buildings since fucking '93 or some shit. Like '83. Remember the '83? Well, they wanted to do it in um, what you call it in uh, Burton one. They wanted to do it in the Mankwitz one. Remember he's oh, he's yeah, jumping that's on the right, rooftop. That's so. right. They wanted that forever. Nolan man. finally did made that happen. That's uh, crazy, huh? Yeah. So let's see. Next scenes are pretty much the same. Where. Riddler shows up in Two-Face's hideout. They agree to team up. They do this whole crime spree. Batman shows up too late, or he gets tricked into going to a hair salon instead of the actual crime. Uh, in the meantime, Dick Grayson, uh, Bruce finds that Dick Grayson is pummeling a straw-filled action dummy, as it says here, that's sort of drawn to have Two-Face on it. <laughs> and nice. This is actually based on a scene that they shot that wasn't I in like the script. That. Yeah. yeah. Okay, really? Yeah, yeah, where Bruce goes up to him and he says, Hey, I just started the Black Knight. She sounds great. Why don't you grab the Harley and we'll take a ride? So we actually have a payoff to the uh, motorcycle scene. Because remember, he entices him. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he entices him with the whole, like, Yeah, like, fix the motorcycle. Yeah, you can yeah, keep yeah. One. yeah. So this shows that he did do it. And Dick turns him down and he says, Look, man, I appreciate the gig, but let's leave it at that. We're not going to be buddies, okay? You don't even know me. And Bruce says, I know the pain that's with you every day. The shame. Feeling somehow you should have saved him. I don't know you, but I'm like you. Have you thought about your future? The Wayne Foundation has an excellent scholarship fund. Once the bikes are finished, and Dick grabs basically the image of Two-Face and says, he's my future. And Bruce says, don't let your love, your passion for your family, twist into hatred of Two-Face. It's too easy. Dick says, look, no offense, man, but I don't think you've got a lot to teach me. And Bruce kicks the dummy's head off. (laughs) <laughs> and he says don't be so sure <laughs> so that's a cool scene 
God uh, damn, this is really good, man. Yeah. Now, that, now that was actually shot, so that's not completely Peter David, but that's the only other, outside of seeing the deleted scene on the uh, Blu-ray or DVD, that's the only other way that you can experience that scene. Uh, Peter David does add the uh, a scene of Bruce consulting with a lawyer about whether or not to sue Edward Nigma, since Edward Nigma came up with this box device around uh, the time that he was working for Wayne. So just like, okay, is this copyright infringement? What is it? And Bruce decides to lay low and pretend that, like, oh, he doesn't really care because he wants to know what Nygma's up to. So, so far, I mean, up until this point, you haven't said much about Nygma other than his origin story. So does it seem like Peter David is much more interested in Two-Face than he is in Riddler, Uh, unlike the movie? I think he's more interested in Batman. (laughs) Well, yeah, okay, for sure, but villain-wise. I mean, villain-wise, I think there's he definitely changes more about Two-Face, and that makes more sense because Riddler is more developed in general in the movie than Two-Face ever was. So Two-Face requires more. I think Riddler... Even then, you didn't necessarily need to add the whole, you know, been obsessed with you since school thing. It was kind of already clear that he idolized him. Yeah, Bruce yeah, is yeah. a public figure. You can understand where that comes from. David just sort of wanted to explain where that came from. The Two-Face wanted to kill Batman, even though Batman wasn't the one who threw the acid in his face. That's yeah. something that I under- that I could totally get why David was like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's find a different angle on this. Okay. So the, uh, a lot of the Enigma stuff that he adds in here is stuff that was already in the script. Okay. Uh, let's see. So Bruce goes to visit Chase Meridian. Same thing where uh, he's with Chase and Dick goes to break into the Bat Cave and steals the Batmobile. Uh, Dick's alleyway fight is a little different. Uh, the, the word is, it's described from the gang's point of view where the Batmobile shows up and then a cape figure shows up, but it seems to be just a dude who's draping the cape around his mouth <laughs> and coming towards him, so it's kind of comical. Okay. Um, okay. Dick loses the battle with the thugs, and Batman actually quickly rescues him and uses knockout gas to take everyone out uh, before okay. shoving him into the Batmobile, and Dick wakes up in the Batmobile, and that's when he starts beating up Batman, being like, it should have been you, it's your fault. If you had told Two-Face who you were at the circus, my parents would still be alive, and he beats Bat... He He's distracting Batman to the point where Batman actually crashes the Batmobile into a fire hydrant. Okay. Uh, so it's a different take on that. I'm not necessarily sure if that's a better or worse version of it, but it, it's a different visual. Uh, they go to the Enigma party, and it's actually exp- David actually explains why Chase Meridian dances with Edward Enigma because that's a weird moment where Edward Enigma is like, "Shall we dance?" and she just dances with him. Uh, yeah. In the book, it says that Chase is about to say no, but looks at Bruce, who gives her a nod, because he wants Chase to... Chase just thinks that she he wants her to sort of psychoanalyze him, but really he wants Enigma distracted so he can check out the box thing. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into, or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you are looking for 
that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European, Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. It's just a really good cover, man. <laughs> right, I mean, yeah. Uh, he, the same thing happens. Two-Face attacks the gala, and then Batman shows up, and then Batman chases after Two-Face, and Two-Face tries to kill him. And says, why don't you just die? And he, he blows up the thing and Batman starts getting buried in rubble. There's a different take on it uh, in terms of what goes through Bruce's head. So this is the miracle of the prose medium. Because okay. you can't really do this in the script. It says, uh, buried alive, the screeching filled his ears and the blackness filled his soul. From down below him, although he couldn't see them because he couldn't see anything, he sensed his parents' hands reaching up for him, desiccated, skeletal, clawing at his feet pulling him down with them into the grave that he had once stood in front of and sworn that he would dedicate his life to, to what? To fighting crime? He could do that through the Wayne Foundation. To vengeance? Why did killing grate against his soul then? Why not an eye for an eye? His eyes filled with sand. Tooth for tooth, his mouth spinning out dirt. To bring them back? Nothing could. To make them rest easier? They were dead. To join them? Yes, of course, that was it. It wasn't about anything so noble as doing right and seeking justice. This whole thing was just a massive death wish. Suicide on a spectacular scale. He'd worked for it. He deserved it. And now all he had to do was lean back and enjoy it. And of course, Dick Grayson has to screw it up and save his life. Wow. That's Peter Davis' description of Batman's near-death experience. And it's quite a different take on things. That's pretty good. Uh, We have an extra moment. This is all Peter David where uh, Gordon and Bullock... Bullock is in this. Oh, shit. Uh, are interrogating one of the captured Two-Face thugs. And they're just like, we need information on Riddler. And the guy's like, all right, but like, they they, they told me, I can't talk. Like, if Two-Face and Riddler know that I said anything, they said, I'm toast, I'm cooked. And it's like, you know, we'll, we'll protect you and everything. And he's like, all right. And he's, he's about to talk until he starts screaming. And his head snaps back and forth. And until suddenly he just goes catatonic. And it says, quote, and miles away, the Riddler removed the helmet that had connected his mind to the subcutaneous implant that Taylor, that all their henchmen, in fact, carried with them, unbeknownst to them. The one that had given Nigma full access to Taylor's entire thought process, not to mention the ability to blow out his neural pathways at whim. He sighed. It's so difficult to find good help these days. <laughs> okay. So, I can see uh, Jim Carrey delivering that line. Right. That's good. So that's old Peter David, that sort of Suicide Squad type element of, I can blow up your head. Oh, right, sort right, of thing. that's right, that's right. So Batman has the same scene with Chase Meridian where he shows up and she's like, I have you and everything, and now like I realize I'm in love with everything else. And he's like, I understand, and he goes off. And then David changes the entire game of Dr. Chase Meridian. Okay, here we go. He leaves. Batman fucks the shit out of No, him. he doesn't. Batman leaves. <laughs> And she says, she picks up a tape recorder and starts talking about the case of Batman that she's been studying. And she says, I figured it out. I saw Batman, I mean, I saw Bruce wade into Two-Face's thugs in the circus. I heard his voice, saw his eyes, his chin, studied his body language. I don't know what I want. I've gone through my life so obsessed with trying to figure out what makes other people's minds work. I don't feel in touch with mine anymore. And whenever I'd spend time with Bruce, I'd see, I'd see something there. So much inner strength, and at the same time, someone who needs so much himself. And when I started to figure out 
the first thing I thought, God help me, the first thing I thought was what an incredible opportunity this was to study him, to see behind the mask. He wasn't a person or a human being. He was just this this thing of a background and facts and figures. And and then I, the other day when he was here and I was playing with my suspicions, teasing and pushing at his mind, and I looked in his eyes again, and then I didn't see him. I saw myself and everything mean-spirited and self-centered, and I'd been so horrible to him. He needed me. So it's basically Chase Meridian has figured out since day one that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Okay. And everything she's done has been an attempt to study him which explains the seduction scene on the rooftop is her okay. testing him, which explains her, <laughs> like, all this stuff finally actually has a different context in the Peter David version. This is, uh, I mean, I know I keep saying it, but this is, like, genius-level <laughs> shit, man. This is really good. Yes. The, the fact that, I mean, one thing to write something from the ground up, but to go back and cover up and, and make plot holes make sense like this. Right. Or not plot holes necessarily, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Things not necessarily written in the best way. Right. Uh, that's such a talent to that, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So not only that happens, but across the way, Batman is watching Chase, and he goes into the Batmobile, and Alfred says, how did it go, sir? And he says, exactly as I thought, as I thought it would. She knows. She figured it out. And now he smiles because he knows that he can tell her. Okay. So Batman has Batman the shit out of the situation by <laughs> listening in and has already figured out that she would know and, and all that. So that That's also cool. redeems Batman That's cool. too. So much better than just her showing up in lingerie on the rooftop. Even though that does happen, but at least there's an explanation <laughs> for fuck, it that man? ties into like maybe she's too observed, obsessed into her work, which makes her a nice match for Batman who's already obsessed with his work. Right, 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 right. Uh, let's see. Same stuff happens where Riddler demonstrates to Two-Face that he knows that Bruce is Batman. Then we go to Wade Manor. It's a little clearer why Bruce wants to quit being Batman. He tells Dick, you were right. As long as there's a Batman, you'll be behind him. But without Batman, you'll never track Two-Face down. Never get close to him. So from this day on, Batman is no more. Okay. So again, adding more explanation through it. Uh, same stuff happens that I described in the last episode. And if you guys haven't heard that episode, then stop this immediately and listen <laughs> to the previous episode because there was My a lot of My mind was stuff. blown. Yes. On why this movie was called Batman Forever in the first place, what was the biggest stuff that was cut. Okay, dude, I got to tell you, man. Yeah. After that episode, I tried so hard to get the Red Book edition. Yeah. Uh, you know, through my various ways <laughs> and um, could not find it. Uh, and I'm still trying to find that version. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I could damn near make it with, <laughs> you know, ripping the DVD, but I don't know. I just want to see what's been made and what's been kind of passed around online. And I, I, yeah, I absolutely have gotten so, for some reason, like, uh, for a week after we did that episode, <laughs> I really did a lot of deep dives myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, just researching what the Red Book is all about, the Red Book edition and yeah. all that. And, and just... You know, like finding the uh, Rick Baker auction. Oh yes, with yes. that makeup, the all red makeup of for for Two Face. Do yourself a favor and go to the Rick Baker auction page mm-hmm. to see what could have been with the Two Face makeups. Everybody. Yeah. Um, anyway, keep going, Ben. Yeah. So, <laughs> the uh, let's see. Same stuff happens with the deleted cave scene with the giant bat. Again, listen to that episode if you haven't heard it. And the uh, sonar suit is said to have nearly killed Batman last time. Okay. So that makes it more of a risk for him to go out in that. 
but he does it anyway, and they go and attack Claw Island. Uh, Riddler's appearance in the final confrontation is very different. Um, oh, yeah, but before we get to that, uh, <laughs> what, I, I skipped the, the payoff of the Jump sonar suit. Oh, so yeah. uh, the reason why the sonar suit nearly killed him is because of the boot thrusters. If you remember in the movie, he sort of uses the thrusters in his boots to get past the, the grating that yeah. comes down on him, sort of like an Iron Man type thing. So David is saying that that's the reason why that was like a last minute suit and could have killed him type of thing. Okay. So that makes a little bit more sense. Okay. So back to Riddler. Riddler's final appearance is a little different. He's describing as having a question mark shaved in the back of his head. Now, okay. This has been, there's been a rumor that has been going around that people are claiming that Robin Williams, like tried to shave a question mark into his head in, into his skull or something like that as, to be the Riddler. But nobody's seemed to be able to find the photo. Or said that that's the version that Tim Burton would pick. I don't know where that comes from. I just know the only thing related to Batman Forever with Riddler having a shave question mark in his head is in the novelization. This uh, is a story that was passed around even at that time. Uh, seems like yeah, or at least in the internet. But I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Okay. Uh, Riddler's also described as being in a big muscular form-fitting suit, and he makes a joke about being "quote unquote" Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I don't know what Peter David was going with this one. Peter but. David, <laughs> I think, can see into the future. <laughs> but it is kind of funny. Yeah, he's already got the Poison Ivy thing, and now he's got yeah. the Arnold Schwarzenegger reference. Yeah, yeah. And then the suit splits open and turns out to just be a suit. But he's wearing he's wearing the regular Riddler suit, but he's saying, like, you know, I this suit, the switching of suits is like you, Bruce. I know who I really am. Let's help you decide once and for all who you really are. So that's kind of David's explanation for why there's that weird Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, suit in here. Um, Batman in the movie says, I see without seeing. In the book, for whatever reason, he says, I see without feeling. I don't know if that's a weird typo or what, but I thought it was an interesting change. See without feeling. I don't know if that's really, I don't know if that really makes any sense, but whatever. Uh, Brither tries to launch both Chase and Robin to kill them both. And instead, in this version, Chase is unconscious, which she might as well have been because Nicole Kidman had zero lines in the third act. Of that, yeah, pretty much right. And yeah. Robin actually uses his, his strength and acrobatic and flexibility to uh, not get launched out of the tube in the first place. Okay. So he actually stays inside the tube, and Batman just rescues Robin. I mean, he Batman just rescues Chase, and Robin just catches up to them. Uh, right. And then Two Face shows up with the halogen light on his head to blind Batman sonar lenses and everything. Okay. Same scene happens. Batman tosses a battering, not a bunch of coins, but a battering at Two Face. Okay. And uh, it says Batman's intention was to knock the coin away and down, hoping that without it, Harvey would be stymied, unable to decide. Instead, he lunged for it. He snatched it out of midair, still clutching his gun, and then he fell. He fell two yards. Two-Face slammed against one of the lower girders. This is all Peter David here. Okay. Because Two-Face does not fall to his fall to his death from the coins. Yeah, this it says, okay, good, he slams good, against good it. Safe. It was bone jarring, but his crazed strength and determination were enough to enable him to cling both to the coin and the gun. He twisted himself around, bracing his feet, clinging tenaciously like a bat. Did you think it would be that easy? Did you? He howled. After everything that was between us, Batman, after the promises you made, you, the hero, the upholder of justice, and look what you did to us. Look! And from above, Robin shouted down, and look what you did to us. Two-Face peered up at him. What? Dick says, you go around acting like that coin is making all the decisions, but it's all bull. It's not the coin. It's you. You called me gutless? God, you're so goddamn gutless. I feel sorry for you. 
With a snarl, Two-Face brought his gun up and aimed at Robin. Robin pressed on relentlessly, his arms and legs starting to tire. You don't have the guts to admit Batman was human and couldn't do everything. He's a better man than you'll ever be, and you're passing judgment on him? How about you, hotshot? What's that coin say about you, huh? You're so busy passing judgment on everyone and everything, except the guy who's really on trial here. I bet you don't have the nerve to try challenging the hand of fate yourself for once. See if it pats you on the back or slaps you down. Go on. Do it. Forget about your coin. Decide for yourself about yourself, you pathetic monster. Do it! Two-Face stared up at him for an eternity as the water crashed below. Then he flipped the coin. It spun, hanging there in the night, and then descended. Two-Face plucked it out of the air, looked at it. He shook his head without looking at Robin. He said, It seems we were right the first time. You are a man after our own heart, and you managed... You managed to rip it out. He chuckled softly. You owe us, kid. And he released his hold on the girder. He made no sound as he descended. Not at all. There was dead silence. I didn't want to do that, said Robin slowly. I... I killed him. No, says Batman. You just showed Two-Face's real face. The rest was his decision. Maybe his first genuine decision in years, Robin. And that's the... That's amazing. The Peter David version of the death of Two-Face. That is the best version of how this thing ends. That's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. So Ro- it's it's Robin's arc at that point. Yeah, it, it's the yeah. film in Robin's arc. Robin gets his revenge of actually killing him. Yeah. Uh, and he does bring about a cool way to bring out Two-Face's character. Just like, why don't you make a decision about yourself? Type of True, thing. yeah, it's and good. And Two-Face being Very so good. miserable and wrapped in vengeance and realizing he's never going to get it uh, and everything. So it's it's a beautiful way to, to end his arc. Um, <laughs> it sucks that we didn't get this movie, man. <laughs> Can you imagine if we got this movie? I know. Our little fucking nine-year-old brains would have fucking exploded, man. Uh, we would have been able to take it. I had this book when I was young, and I didn't really like. I, re- I remember reading the bit of the beginning of this. And I'm like, this isn't like the movie at all. What the hell is this? And then as I got older, I started to appreciate like, oh, character moments and everything. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, oh, so I, when you were a kid, you wanted it to be just like the movie, pretty much. Yeah, uh, kind of. But then I realized how much better this was. Uh, and then it shocked me when I was a little older and I, I read through the whole thing and then I got to this point where I'm just like, this isn't like the movie at all, but holy shit, so much better. It's, yeah, it's a lot better, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, a few other changes. Uh, it's explained that the henchwomen, Sugar and Spice, uh, Spice pulls out a portable phone to call a guy off a yacht and that's how they <laughs> that's how they get off. Uh, there's <laughs> good, a little... Good, good. I'm glad he covered that. Yeah, there's a little scene of Batman um, doing the whole, like, I'm Batman not because I have to be, but because... Uh, I choose to be how and he says however it would have been nearly impossible to accomplish rescuing both of them fortunately I had help and he looks at Robin yes nice so it kind of solidifies that and then we have the same ending where where they're so deluded he thinks he's Batman and then Chase uh, talking to Bruce outside before going in the car and having the final lines once again like in the script being like uh, does it ever end Alfred and he says no miss not in this lifetime and then that was it so that is uh all the major moments of the Peter David Batman Forever novelization, I did not include a lot of the little, you know, moments and the little yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful prose that he adds to it. But it's, it's that an is incredible, man. Incredible. Yeah. So it's very surprising that this exists. <laughs> I know. It's, it's been talked about on a lot of Batman forums, it seems like. I've been to a couple myself. Yeah. Uh, just because it's such an interesting part of the Batman history, you mm-hmm. know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we usually do a deep dive into the previous scripts and I go into who would have been cast and everything. We did not have a chance to do that last time, so we thought we might as well okay, do that Okay, let's now. do it. Good, so, good stuff. Uh, for Batman, obviously Michael Keaton was the first choice because he had played it beforehand, and there's a bit of a dispute of 
his reasons why he said no. Mm-hmm. Some say it's a money dispute. He claims that he just didn't like the direction that they were going to go in, and he turned down however much money they were offering. I don't know how much of that is just because of the movie's reputation, and he's just capitalizing on that to right, make right. look good or anything, but... Right. It's a little mixed, but obviously he did not return for this one. So there are a lot of rumors on who the next Dark Knight would be. I found an old LA Times article oh, nice. saying that uh, Kurt Russell was rumored okay. to be uh, it. And uh, Alec Baldwin. They wanted him forever. They, like. Alec Baldwin was not mentioned in the LA Times. <laughs> However, just, I'm, I'm with his brother, Billy... Billy Baldwin said this. He says, I was one of, because Billy Baldwin ended up playing Batman in terms of the voice in the Justice League Crisis on Two Earths movie. Oh, shit. Okay. And uh, when they interviewed him, he said, quote, I was one of Joel Schumacher's top choices when Val Kilmer wound up playing Batman. Tim Burton and Michael Keaton had left, so Joel had the luxury of replacing Michael Keaton, and he told me that his four choices, which was eclectic, diverse array, were, and this is going to be hilarious, Daniel Day-Lewis... Okay. Right. Ray Fiennes, uh-huh. Val Kilmer, and me. Okay. I didn't even know it at the time. He told me when I had a meeting with him later. So apparently those were Joel Schumacher's top four choices. Daniel Day-Lewis, Ray Fiennes, Val Kilmer, then Billy Baldwin. It's just like after seeing um, what you call it, um, There Will Be Blood, it seems like Daniel Day-Lewis would be such an excellent villain. <laughs> right. You know, like he's got the darkness that I think Batman needs to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's method as fuck, so I guess he could pull it off. He seems kind of small, but, but like as a villain, my God, he could. Who could? Who, what he villain could, could he play? Do you think? I don't put you on the spot here. He could play any of them, honestly. He could play Joker, Riddler, Two Face. Riddler comes to mind for me, like a very dark Riddler. A dark Riddler, he could do that. Um, didn't Joey fan casted him as Rosal Ghoul? Oh, on, yeah, the, on, yeah, our, on our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I can yeah. See, but the thing is, like, Ra's al Ghul is a little bit more Middle Eastern, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know um, what's-his-name is not exactly cast all that well, but um, Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. I mean, he was good he in the role. He would be another tall Irish actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Has to play this role. Is Daniel Lewis tall? I think he's 6'1". I don't know. Is he? Oh, man, I thought he was shorter. All right, anyway. I don't know. Uh, apparently, Ethan Hawke was also asked. He says... Not surprised. He said, Not quote, surprised. this was after Tim Burton's Batman films, before the bad period. I just didn't want to go to the New York Knicks game and have everybody go, wow, you were a great Batman. That wasn't my fucking goal in life. Now I wish I'd done it because I could have used it to do other things. That's what Hawke said? Yeah. <laughs> Well, his okay. ex-wife ended up becoming Poison Ivy, so... That's true, that's, that's true, uh, whatever. Um, since we're on the subject of Batman, I did want to revisit our discussion about Kilmer versus Keaton, in a way. Okay. And how we evaluate Batman, because I kind of realized that there's a lot of factors that come about, especially with... When you when you judge a lot of the actors, you have to judge it based off of... Uh, like I, A lot of it has to come down to the actual performance itself, uh, because that's yeah. the only thing that they're responsible for, right? Uh, but in some ways you also have to evaluate based off of how well they fit the character as well as uh, this has to be a factor, but the characterization, the characterization of the movie that surrounds them has to be a factor. So I feel that Kilmer uh, had a better characterization as Batman Uh than was in the Burton. That might be a hot take. That might be a bold statement as we used to have in there. But I I do feel that the characterization that the Bachelors gave him was a lot better than what we got out of the Keaton version. Uh, however, I personally, after revisiting sort of scenes, the, the thing, I think I feel that like Keaton has the better performance, even though Kilmer has the better characterization. Uh, that's so that's how, that's, that's how I would rank it. Good breaking it down, man. Yeah. So 
Uh, part of it is just the general intensity of Keaton's Batman that just from his looks, I don't know, the eye, something about it. Like there's, there's something think, that Kilmer doesn't have. I think even I, though some I can of agree with that. that. Yeah. I agree with that for yeah. sure. That's a very good, uh, yeah. Even though we, on we broke paper. broke it down very well there. Yeah, because like on yeah. paper, Kilmer should rank higher technically. Yeah. Because of the characterization. But I mean, Kilmer's not necessarily responsible for characterization. He's only responsible for the actual performance he gives. So I can't really bring myself to rank Keaton. There's a certain stiffness maybe to Kilmer too. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I think so. And I mean, again, some of it's the script. It's not all of it's his fault. To be honest, I know that it was written for Keaton, but I really can't see Keaton doing the same type of Batman that the script required. Oh no, you can't really. No. I can't see Keaton say the bat signal's not a beeper. <laughs> I mean, Keaton is like he became like dark as fuck. So he gets yeah. darker the older he gets. You know, like yeah. to see him in like in Far From Home, man, or Homecoming. Homecoming, rather, yeah. He's I'll so kill you. he's so fucking dark, bro. Yeah. And that's that's like a light light ass Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Uh, I agree with you. I think the only thing is, and I know this is like Keaton's my first Batman, always and forever. Right. But I feel like Kilmer's just better looking. Yeah, he looks, he's a little bit more a handsome Bruce well, Wayne. Uh, back in the '90s, yes, maybe not. Oh, not not <laughs> as much now. But we're no judging offense, at the Kilmer, time. But yeah, you had a kind of a tough run of it for a while. It seems yes. like uh, that's a whole other story, everybody. Yes, but, but but you know, at the time when these movies came out, I feel like Kilmer he's was more believable. Playboy, playboy that yeah. all the girls are falling like he the, the way that he's treated in the movie where everyone's like oh my god he's bruce wayne who's he taking to the charity circus and everything like it, it's tough to see the keaton version of that being so popular and then you're and like what's his name like there's a certain like how do i say it like swarthiness you know what i'm saying to, yeah to bruce wayne that yeah, i feel like kilmer kilmer's so waspy again like i, I think kilmer had the way better characterization. In fact, I think I would say in terms of the public persona of Bruce Wayne, I like the one in Batman Forever probably the best because, you know, Ke- Keaton's was more of a, like, shut-in. Nobody really knew who the fuck he was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah we'll yeah, see yeah. Clooney later in the next episode to judge on that. Uh, Bales was more of an asshole. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's like, yeah, hey, yeah. I'm going to buy, I'm buying this hotel and setting new rules in the pool area and, like, showing up drunk to things and drunkenly burning down. Let me ask you a question never about that. Like, yeah. I, I have read many a Batman comic before. Yeah. But not as much as you, I think. And, that like, that's kind of like Nolan's contribution to Bruce Wayne being kind of a dick. I mean, like he's that. kind of expanding the scene in year one where Gordon shows up to interview Bruce to see if he's Batman. And, and Bruce is like, hey, I have this woman who doesn't speak any English. And uh, I don't remember her name. What's your name again? And he's already drunk and everything. So I think Nolan latched onto that and basically made that his Bruce Wayne. And I guess okay. part of me kind of expected that that Bruce Wayne would kind of have a redemption arc and be seen as more of a philanthropist yeah. type that you saw Kilmer's Bruce Wayne being. And instead, he just ends up supposedly getting killed <laughs> during okay. the Bane raid in the public eye. So that's that's. And then Affleck's version of Bruce Wayne was felt a little bit like Keaton in terms of like he's kind of a recluse. He does show up sometimes, but like Barry Allen didn't really know who he was when he showed up yeah. in Justice League. So I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, well, like, and those, the end scene of of Dark Knight Rises, whenever they're out in the um out in the open, and it's after Bruce Wayne supposedly died. Yeah, and he shows up in the in that cafe or whatever. That no disguise cafe. whatsoever. No disguise whatsoever. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking like, well, like people that are against those scenes, they say 
well, everybody knows who Elon Musk looks like. Why wouldn't they know who Bruce Wayne looks like? But mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not sure. I, mean, I know the paparazzi would be there, but the thing is, like, is Bruce Wayne always written like that type, like to be a Richard Branson, like Elon Musk, a Zuckerberg type where everybody uh, knows his face? It depends. That I mean, kind of a rich he's guy? seen that way in the Nolan movies, though. Is that that's pretty okay? That's pretty right. much established. Yeah, Falcone yeah, yeah. straight up says you have to you have to travel a thousand miles to meet anyone who doesn't know your name or your oh, face. Oh, okay, yeah, I forgot so, about that line. Yes, okay, yeah, relevant, he yeah. shot himself in the foot on that one. I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could maybe see the Keaton version of that getting away with that. Yeah, yeah, right. Nobody knew who he was in the first place anyway. I just thought it was such a great scene. It was just like ah, just let it go, dude. The emotion's so good. <laughs> well, let's. Michael Uslan cried when he saw that movie, yes, he bro. Did. Stay tuned for our Dark Knight Rises uh, deep dive episode coming many months from now, however many months it is <laughs> Probably, to get Probably, what, May next year or some shit? <laughs> Maybe sooner than that. We'll see. Before uh, The Batman comes out, at yes, least. Definitely. This is all one big run-up to The Batman in 2021. <laughs> right. 2021, man. Next June, we still got another year. Uh, we got plenty of Batman movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the animated ones we haven't even touched yet. And I want to go to the Superman as well. Yeah, we'll dive into the Supermans. Yeah. That's gonna. If anything, we're gonna have more episodes on the unmade Superman scripts than actual Superman movies. I find that shit fucking fascinating, man. I listen to. I anyway, got a lot keep... of reading to go to. Uh, all right. Uh, for Chase Meridian, the the names that L.A. Times had. Again, these were rumors that the L.A. Times was reporting, since L.A. Times is a little bit more reputable than like you know fanmovies.com or whatever. I'm I'm gonna say that maybe this there was some actual talk of it. The names that were considered were Rene Russo. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Jan Triplehorn. And Linda Hamilton. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, I personally think Nicole Kidman was probably perfect for that version. That for this particular with. role, yeah, yeah, it was the right choice. Yes. Uh, let's see. Obviously, as I said in the last podcast, uh, Tommy Lee Jones was Joel Schumacher's first, last, and only choice for Two Face. Um, <laughs> so weird, man. which is a weird choice. I still feel like it's not the best choice. Who? Okay, not to put you on the spot, but who would you replace in there? If God, let's say man. if if you couldn't do Billy D, let's say like Billy D come back and Billy D is like, this is the script I got to work with. I got to cackle all the time. No way. And then you and then you know he's gone. Nobody comes to mind right now, but just like somebody is like from like like uh, gangster films or something like. A... I've I have a out of the box choice for this. Okay. For 1995, yeah, uh, to stay true to the the version of Two Face that they were going to bring to life, while also acknowledging the fact that Billy D. Williams was Harvey Dent. I don't want to change the ethnicity. Okay, Samuel L. Jackson. It would be good. Yeah, I could see that as the crazy Two Face. Yeah, think of some of the lines that he says in this. Yeah. Um, this is like a Marcellus Washington or whatever. Yeah, like, as Marce- Marce- basically Marcellus Washington as or Marcellus Wallace. Wallace, yeah, yeah. Wallace. Marcellus Wallace. Apologies as Two Face. Yeah, in this, I can kind of see. It's, it's possible. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, also Samuel Jackson is like maybe two years younger than Tommy Lee anyway. So the the age is even though he doesn't look like that's like it true. at all because black don't crack, but <laughs> <laughs> he's he's around the same age. Oh man, uh, yeah, I could totally see that, man. I mean. I'm thinking my first thought was somebody like like a Bobby Cannavale type of that time. Like, uh, God, I don't know who. Like somebody from Goodfellas. Ray Liotta? Ray Liotta would be a pretty good two-face, yeah. I think. Yeah. Have to be a little bit more serious, though, than what we got. I forever. see him as more serious. Yeah. That, that's the yeah. thing. Like yeah. the, the characterization that's in the script, if I were to stay true to it, that's, why, that's where Samuel Jackson would come from. My second choice would potentially be Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man mode. 
if the stuntman could take his insane um, yeah, kicks well, that's, to the that's face the without yeah. any holding back. <laughs> Luckily, Two-Face doesn't have a lot of hand-to-hand combat in the in the movie. That's true. So that would have been interesting. Uh, let's see. Robin Williams was the number one choice for Riddler, and then, of course, they moved on to Jim Carrey. Uh, the name that had the I, most... I looked into that. There was yeah. some some sort of, like, he felt burned about something before, like he he wasn't their first choice before, and then he became, or some sort of shit. Well, it's because sort of they like used that. him to trick oh, Nicholson. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right, and he was burned on that. Yeah, and he's like, you're not going to do the same to me. So, ironically, <laughs> he got he just didn't end up in Unbelievable, dude. Yeah. But, I mean, I also think Carrie is perfect for this version of for, it. Yeah, it's fucking perfect. And he had just come off of, like, you know, Ace Ventura 1 and 2, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask. Like, he was hot at this time. Also, the tight bodysuit. Yeah. I kind I just I don't, don't really see... I mean, I can kind of see Robin Williams in it. It just feels a lot uglier than what was he in gained, the They probably would have changed it a little bit, probably. <laughs> he probably would have been wearing suspenders, dude. They probably would Maybe. I, I bet yeah. you anything Schumacher would have gone for, like, a deranged... Even more deranged Mork with question marks on his f- fucking head. Yeah. I could totally see Schumacher doing that with, with Williams. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. The, the the role that obviously was the most sought after was Robin. Yeah. So there yeah. were a lot of actors associated, some lesser known than others. So somebody named Renoli Santiago from um, Dangerous Minds, I think. Yeah, Dangerous Minds and Hackers uh, was considered for it. Um on the DVD featurette, Schumacher said that he met with the following British actors. Ewan McGregor. Oh, wow. Jude Law. Alan Cumming, which is, comes from out of nowhere, because I don't think Alan Cumming was anywhere like close to the age that... like If you think Chris O'Donnell was old, Alan Cumming was yeah, well right? into his 30s during the time. Uh, and Toby Stevens, okay. who played uh, the villain in Die Another Day, and he's on Black Sails. Uh, okay. Also considered was Leonardo DiCaprio. I could see that, yeah. He said, quote, I never screen tested. I had a meeting with Joel Schumacher. It was just one meeting, and no, I didn't end up doing it. I don't think I wanted the role. Joel Schumacher is a very talented director, but I don't think I was ready for anything like that. Diplomacy, everybody. <laughs> yes. Diplomacy. That's how you make it. You know who was less diplomatic was the other guy I've got on this list. <laughs> okay, here we go. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> okay. Once I was kind of talked about for Robin, the Robin role in Batman Forever, someone dodged a bullet. <laughs> so those are the original names considered for are you saying mark Wahlberg is worse with words than dicaprio (laughs) who knew wow who knew we got a transformer (laughs) um i think all those choices were too old at least at the time i don't know why they wanted 45 year olds to be playing this role man (laughs) i you know who is 16 or so at the time who i looked up and was DiCaprio actually was probably 16 he was like 22 or so. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay, all right. You know, he was 16 at the time, who I think, even though like that would have he would have been out of the running for future stuff. But I don't know. Like you had Tommy Lee Jones and Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer now all part of the MCU. So who knows? True. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was 16. Would have been perfect. And he's 16 in the thing in the script. So I'm like, oh, oh man. shit. Yeah. So he would have been. Yeah, he would have been age. good. He would have been good, and, and then he, everything would have made sense. You sympathize with with Gyllenhaal's performance, like I feel like yeah, Gyllenhaal is an actor that really uh, pulls out the sympathy, mm-hmm. you know, more than a lot of other. So I could I see, yeah, yeah, I could see that uh, working out. So that's kind of my, even though I didn't really do a formal fan cast like I usually do, because this version of the script was pretty close to what was in the movie. If I were to change two roles in the movie, it would be Jake Gyllenhaal as Robin. 
and Samuel L. Jackson as Two-Face. Okay. Uh, last thing, this is not really a casting thing, but I might as well throw in this trivia. One of the original designers for the Batman Forever Batmobile that was not used was Alien's famous designer, H.R. Giger. Giger. Giger, whatever Giger. the fuck you pronounce it. Giger. Uh, his version almost looked like a pair of scissors. It's really weird. I'll what? show it to you right now. I'm uh, sorry, I missed it. He made, he made the Batarang? He made a Batmobile. Oh, the bat. Oh, the Batmobile. He designed a Batmobile that, to be honest, dude, you probably would have found worse than the actual one in the movie. I feel like you've shown me this already. It looks like a pair of scissors. Look at this. I mean, look. That's what. What do you What do you expect when you get when you when you ask Giger? You <laughs> I know? know, I know. I bet. Yeah, it's definitely not what you want. Right. So I don't know why people just can't make a fucking like Batmobile. It's, it's so easy. I don't to know me. why they didn't just use the one from the previous movie. Just fucking rehash it, bro. To rehash it. I mean, you're already using as we covered in the previous script stuff. Like we were already there was a lot of mentions of the previous movies. So like you know you could have kept it in continuity. It would have worked. It would have worked. But, oh well. Add different gadgets to it, maybe. That's what you could do. But, Potentially, yeah. But uh, add Just a like so- what they with sonar the function to the uh, Batmobile or yeah. some shit. Exactly. Is that pretty much it, bro? Or that what? is pretty much it on the novelization and deep dives into alternate versions of Batman Forever. We've covered... We've seen the movie. We've covered the Bachelor script. We've covered the Goldsman script. We've covered the Peter David novelization at this point. I don't really have anything else to cover. Unless we go into audiobooks and children's novelizations, and I doubt there's anything new there. Ah, we'll skip that with <laughs> Batman Forever. We might cover a Batman audiobook at some point in Superhouse's lifetime, but. Probably, yeah. But uh, not not for this, at least this time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, everybody, uh, check us out on all the social media. You know where the fuck to find us. Just search for Superhouse Podcast on whatever, yep. you, whatever you're on. I am Thunderwolf Drew. On Twitter and Instagram, and Ben. I am Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram. And uh, thank you, uh, Shasta, as usual, for your Patreon patronage. Hopefully, we'll add to this list at some point soon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're on Patreon. Um, more than likely, you know what that is. But anyway, that's p a t r e o n dot com slash Superhouse Podcast. Over there, you can sign up and donate us a dollar. Uh, that's all that we got as far as tiers are concerned for Patreon at the moment. Just the dollar tier. And that's basically it. Check us out on the next episode where, uh, well, it's going to be the best one. We wrap up this Batman Forever deep dive for anybody wondering why the hell we're spending so much time on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll see. Um, anyway, this is Andrew signing off. Then signing off. <laughs>